and welcome to Building Local Power, a podcast dedicated to thought-provoking conversations about how we can challenge corporate monopolies and expand the power of people to shape their own future. I'm Jess Delfiaco, the host of Building Local Power and Communications Manager here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. For 45 years, ILSR has worked to build thriving, equitable communities where power, wealth, and accountability remain in local hands. Today I'm joined by John Farrell, co-director of ILSR, as well as Zach Freed, who is a researcher with our independent business team. Uh, and we are going to dive into ILSR's latest report, which is a massive, uh, Zach, would you say year-long project? More than a year? We had the idea uh, for it about a year ago, and there were kind of pauses as things came up, but uh, yeah. It's been gestating for, for in many now. in many ways it's it's the result of forty years of work. Yeah, there you go. Um, so this report is called "Fighting Monopoly Power: How States and Cities Can Beat Back Corporate Control and Build Thriving Communities." So, Zach, can you talk about why? I mean, your team led the charge on this, but it's got we cover many different sectors, so all of ILSR contributed to it. Can you talk about why we decided to create this guide? Um, and why is it focused at the local level rather than the federal policy level? For sure. So a couple of things. First of all, to my knowledge, ILSR hasn't done a kind of project where we unite all of the different initiatives. And that was, I think, part of the impetus behind getting started on this guide is to sort of combine all the institutional knowledge that we have uh, at the Institute into a single unified work. The other driving force behind the guide was the sort of history of economic policymaking since mid-20th century, I want to say, has been very heavily focused on federal policy in terms of, you know, where power lies and where a lot of the big decision-making has taken place. And if you think about it, that's not hasn't really been a positive thing for most people in America. Um, a lot of the federal economic policy making decisions that have taken place have resulted in uh, poverty and inequality, and uh, you know the decimation of main streets uh, and local businesses, um, and you know further consolidation and empowerment of big companies, and and kind of we're starting to see the logical conclusion of all that federal economic policy making in what's happening as, as COVID-19 is hitting our, our, our country, you know, you're having local businesses are shuttering and big tech companies like Amazon and, and uh, other big retailers like Walmart are kind of poised to be the only, the only kinds of uh, institutions with power that are left. Is there a particular precedent for states or cities um, fighting monopoly power that we've seen in the past? Yeah, definitely. The first labor and antitrust laws passed in this country were passed on the state level. And uh, similarly, the the kind of political energy that it took to pass them on a federal level began with the states. That's, so that's really a, another big reason why we decided to write this guide, because we find ourselves in a situation where there's kind of a, a real vacuum uh, when it comes to progressive economic policy making that reorients power into the hands of ordinary people. And so, yeah, we wanted to give state and local policymakers kind of a how-to so that they can start doing the work of 
restructuring the economy to work for ordinary working people. I, I would like to add just a little bit on institutional history here, too. Um, we did do one kind of collective project like this before, and it's the video that you see on the About Us page of ILSR's website about breaking the chains of corporate power and building local power. And so what I see this as is like the final fruition of that six or seven years ago project where we first really recognized that there was this common theme running through all of the research that we were doing. You know, we've always for over 40 years been focused on helping communities uh, strengthen their local economies across these different sectors that we work in. But we came to this understanding of, oh, you know what, this issue of corporate concentration and monopoly power is really pressing in all of these different areas at the state and the federal level. So the video was like the first chance we took to articulate that clearly, that we saw that theme across. And I see this as us finally being able to say with some really good uh, data and uh, some really good evidence uh, that it is happening and that there are things that we see across all of these different sectors that states can do to push back against corporate concentration. The um, introduction to the guide says that too often policymakers try to alleviate symptoms um, and that this guide deals with the root problem. So this could be a question for either of you, but could you unpack uh, what the root problem is and why do policymakers often avoid it? The root problem is... Uh, well, there are a lot of different problems, but uh, one of the biggest ones is, you know, uh, corporate capture of our policymaking process. So we have too much influence from corporations in the only way that we really have to control corporations. Like we have this sort of feedback loop going on and that we like the policy tools that we could use, perhaps at the federal level, are ineffective due to corporate influence in politics. Is that kind of what? Totally. Uh, it's that. And it's also kind of path dependence from decades and decades of deference to private private power. A good example of this is the Dodd-Frank Act that came out of the aftermath of the 07-08 financial collapse. There you had like a lot of very complicated, uh, difficult to understand, in some cases kind of watered down half measures that, as we see now, has been easily undone by a hostile presidential administration. Very, It's very different from the kinds of things that were passed to check the power of like the, the railroad and, and oil and steel monopolies of the early 20th century. These earlier laws were, were written in ways that like people could understand and read easily, uh, and they were very kind of blunt instruments. And we have sort of moved away from that way of making policy as lawyers and econom economists uh, have come into power. And sort of we've deferred to the technocratic expertise of people who aren't necessarily interested in reorienting power in a fundamental way, but just kind of eating away at the edges of, of things. I like what you're saying there, Zach, but I think I would even go a little bit further in saying that I think we have sort of a naive belief that we can make our federal government powerful enough to overcome the shortcomings of our failures at economic regulation to keep companies competitive and small enough. You know, we have decades of, as, he's, as Zach was saying there, the deference to elites and 
you know, uh, technocrats to successfully control the power of corporations that we've let grow really big. We took our foot off the brake in terms of allowing corporations to grow in size. And you see this in the guide in the discussion of you know, electric utilities and retail companies and these internet giants. And so they have all this influence. We know they do, and it's because they're big. And the funny thing is that we let them get big deliberately by refusing to intervene in a way that we actually had been doing. And a little nod to Representative Wright Patman, who was pushed out of his committee chairmanship in the 70s and who had really had a lot of leadership at the federal level. So we, I see this as a, a problem of having too much faith that you can let companies get big and that, that there, and that you can size up government to successfully contend with them, whereas I think our philosophy has always been, and it's being proved out by how things are going, that we're better off if we keep uh, our economy competitive by not allowing that much power to accumulate, because unfortunately, the economic power that accumulates when companies get very big turns into political power, influence over regulators, influence in legislatures. Uh, and it really only exacerbates things like racial inequality, where we've also got a lot of people who are disenfranchised because of decades of racial injustice, for example. So you have that power suppressed and corporate power is elevated by the kinds of choices that we've made. And so, you know, this guide is about getting to the root of that. What is the problem? The problem is that we let companies get too large Uh to be politically manageable in a democratic system. Yeah, and I'd also add that this has been something that, that's um, continued at basically the same rate throughout Democratic and uh, Republican presidential administrations and Congresses. Um, so it's really a problem that's pervaded our entire system. It's also one of the reasons that we decided to have this guy be at the state level, because really the federal government for decades and decades has been systematically weakened by both parties to the point where it's like there's really no power there anymore uh and so the the real work that has to take place i think over the next few decades is going to take take place at the state and local level if we're going to wrest power back from the system that has enabled all these uh this kind of transfer of wealth and power over the last few decades under under both parties Thank you guys for that. So that gives us a really good sense of kind of why this is important on a on the top level, you know, uh, zoomed out. But how about how does this how does corporate power, monopoly power impact our everyday lives? Like for me, like or many consumers, I might say like, well, groceries are going to be a lot cheaper if I go to Walmart instead of going to the grocery store on the end of my block. You know, so like that seems like it would be good for me. Obviously, that's not really the case. So you could could you guys talk about how this hurts us every day and individuals? Well, I'd love to at least dispel the myth that Walmart, because they're good at advertising that they're inexpensive, is actually cheaper. Because if you actually look at some investigative reporting on who's inexpensive around groceries, it's not actually true that you're going to save money at Walmart. They'll have a few like lost leader items that get you in the store. Well, certainly being able to advertise at that scale is part of the whole problem. Absolutely. So they're able to, with their size advertise the crap out of the fact that they are potentially less expensive than other places you would shop. So, I, I mean, I think that obviously is one piece of it. Um, I'll just give an example in the electricity sector. Most people don't think a lot about who they get their electricity from because in most states you don't get to pick. You just have one electric provider when you move into an apartment or a house and you just sign up with them. Well, 
these utilities have actually been merging with one another. So they used to be kind of regional and, and state-level utilities. Uh, there's, for example, uh, Madison Gas and Electric is an investor-owned utility, but it just uh, it's owned by shareholders. Uh, but it basically just serves the city of Madison, Wisconsin. And that's what all utilities used to look like. And uh, now there are ones that span like multiple states and serve over 10 million customers compared to like, a, you know, tens of thousands of customers. And what they've become really successful at is that they have these lobbying arms of their corporation uh, that get very efficient because they operate in multiple states. And so they've got all these lawyers who can kind of like uh, parachute into all these different state regulatory things uh, and allow them to do things like, you know, make plans for new power plants that maybe aren't quite necessary, uh, but they're really experienced at convincing regulators that they are. And so your electric bill is definitely higher in a lot of cases because the one utility company that you can select is very successful at uh, convincing regulators that the things that they need in order to benefit their shareholders are things that you need and should pay for. Yeah, it's also true in the pharmacy sector. You are seeing local independent pharmacies vanish across the U.S. uh, And in many cases, you're seeing areas that have been uh, termed pharmacy deserts where there's no pharmacy within an easy distance. Uh, This is an especially bad problem now that we're facing a pandemic that's ravaging the globe. For example, since 2013, more than 400 pharmacies have closed in just Ohio. There was a 2018 study from the University of Iowa that found that 600 rural communities had lost at least one retail pharmacy in 2013 and had none 15 years later. So from 2013 to 2018, in 600 communities, there were no pharmacies. And part of the reason this is happening is because you have these companies called pharmacy benefits managers, which basically administer drug benefits for health plans. Uh, and reimburse pharmacies for the cost of like a drug on behalf of a health plan. There are like three big PPMs, uh, pharmacy benefit managers, and they've grown big through uh, mega mergers that have taken place since the 1990s. And one of the byproducts of their market power is they've been able to kind of decide winners and losers in the pharmacy space. Uh, And unsurprisingly, because of the fact that these PBMs are by and large owned by chain pharmacies. We've seen a lot of the independent smaller pharmacies that uh, are consistently rated higher on things like wait times and even drug prices uh, disappear across the country. Well, chain pharmacies like CVS have popped up on pretty much every corner of every community. So that's one of the ways that federal policy, in this case, uh, lacks merger enforcement and encouraging consolidation in the healthcare field has led to uh, the kind of decimation of local economies. Um, I'll offer one other example, I think, that probably is very familiar to most people is, you know, most people pay a cable bill, uh, whether it's for internet and TV or just for television. Uh, And if your cable bill has been going up, it's because of this problem. It is because cable companies, ever since the federal government deregulated them, have merged into giant companies where they control both the content, like the channels, as well as the wires that get to your home. And so they have the freedom to continue to jack up prices. So I'm actually in a novel situation in Minneapolis where we have an independent internet provider that does fiber internet uh, that competes with Comcast and CenturyLink and whatever uh, with fast service. And in fact, really, they just compete with Comcast because there's only two companies that can actually offer fast service. 
Uh, but I actually have affordable internet, and you can even get affordable prices from Comcast because they have to compete uh, with USI, this small internet company. So um, I think that's a place where people, most people see that uh, as a problem and feel like, feel powerless to do anything about it. But we could, through state and federal government, take action to uh, make broadband access and make cable access more affordable. Could um, either of you talk about the ways communities have been successful and why? Communities or states, I suppose. Definitely. Um, so there are a, a good example of, of a state that's been successful in keeping corporate power at bay is North Dakota in the pharmacy sector as well. Uh, North Dakota has a law that in order to own a pharmacy, you have to be a pharmacist. And as a result, there are far fewer chains and North Dakota is among the lowest, uh, the states with the lowest drug prices. And I believe more pharmacies per capita as well. So you have better service in terms of more accessibility to pharmacies for a state that's relatively rural. Mm -hmm. I feel like ILSR could have a whole initiative that's just like the secrets of North Dakota, the things you didn't know about this state that you might not think about. Yeah. Another good example is in the banking sector in North Dakota. North Dakota has a state-owned bank, and as a result, they're able to have a more thriving uh, independent business ecosystem. Small businesses are able to go to the state-owned bank instead of one of the, the mega banks uh, for loans. And as a result, they have a much healthier uh, independent business ecosystem in the state as well. Uh, I'll add one other example of how states are changing this a little bit. There are now seven states uh, that have what's called community choice aggregation or community choice energy uh, in electricity markets. And what it does is allows cities or counties or groups of cities and counties to create alternative electric companies, essentially, to sell electricity to customers. And so it radically changes who manages the electricity system. So instead of, in some states, individuals shopping around for electricity but not really having any buying power, uh, they're sort of like a Costco for electricity and that, you know, they're this, they can go out and they can buy it in bulk for these communities, but they can also uh, make value judgments and say like, well, we want to buy more renewables, just like a Costco might say, well, we want more organic beef or something like that. And so uh, the states that have that are uh, seeing a lot of communities take advantage of that. So it doesn't force communities to choose their energy supplier, but it allows them to. And we find that lots of communities are making that choice because they can get uh, energy that is often more affordable, uh, or at least that's more in line with their values for the same price. You know, before we go to the next question, let's take a short break. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Building Local Power podcast. If you enjoy listening to the show, if you appreciate the Fighting Monopoly Power Guide or the other resources we publish, we hope you'll consider making a donation to the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Your support makes it possible to create resources like this and to make them available for free to everyone on our website. If you want to help us return power to local communities, please go to ilsr.org donate. Any amount is sincerely appreciated. So for communities or states who might want to take action on challenging corporate monopolies or you know, use some of the tools that we put in this guide, um, are they facing any barriers or pushback from the federal level or other forces um, that are preventing them from doing so? Well, we've definitely seen in internet service that the federal government has not been particularly helpful uh, in uh, overturning 
states that have preempted local governments from doing stuff. So it's sort of this interesting multi-layer federalism experiment where you have cities that are saying, we want to solve internet affordability problems. And then you have states who are sometimes saying, oh, no, these telecom companies have lobbied us and told us that's a terrible idea and we're not going to let you do it. And then the federal government has kind of waffled back and forth from saying, we want to support you cities in doing the right thing, because that's actually one of the federal government's goals is broadband access, at least, you know, on its face. Uh, and then being uh, turning around and then being unhelpful. Uh, and, for example, uh, you see this with like the net neutrality fight, um, allowing to discriminatory pricing and things like that. So uh, I think that's one interesting way in which you're seeing, you know, different levels of government, at least at, <laughs> in different places in terms of how they approach this. So I guess uh, my next question, and sort of to wrap up, what do we want to happen next? Is there anything that's happening right now that we think is really promising? Um, is there anything in particular, like specific examples of actions communities are taking that we kind of outline in the guide? What's the latest news in local antitrust movements, basically? We are seeing, a, so I, th I think we're seeing a number of different ways uh, that states and local governments can be involved. Uh, one of the things that I see as really promising, um, even though it's kind of a small thing, is that some cities that are doing work around climate and energy, and so in the electricity markets where you have this concentration of utilities, are hiring staff to be involved at the state regulatory commission. So you often see this very big gap between cities that have made climate and energy commitments. You know, over 100 cities in the United States have a commitment to get to 100% renewable energy. They don't regulate energy. They often don't own the utility. I think four or five of them own their own utility. And so the fact that they're recognizing that they need to be in that space um, and in that conversation at the state level is really important. And, and it's also cool to see that even on their lobbying agenda, which usually includes, includes things like, hey, you know, local government aid or money for police or something like that, um, uh, that the cities are now talking about energy as a way in which they want to interface with state legislation and, and state government. Uh, we also have seen some, some antitrust action actually against utilities. Uh, it wasn't initiated by states, but it could be. But uh, in Arizona, Salt River Project, which is a uh, a fairly large utility imposed really significant fees on rooftop solar customers and only rooftop solar customers under the bogus claim that they were costing them a lot more money to serve those customers. And and you're as a utility, you're not allowed, even though those customers are buying less energy from you, as you're, if you're a monopoly, you are not allowed to punish them for that. Like it is the right of every customer to generate energy from solar if they want to take advantage of that sun that falls on their property. And so there's an antitrust case against them uh, which is really fascinating because in the utility sector, there's a bunch of laws sort of like protecting utilities from antitrust when they're granted a monopoly by a state. Uh, and this is one of those exceptions where uh, customers have a right to produce their own energy and the utility is essentially forcing them not to by saying we're going to penalize you financially. Uh, and the U.S. Department of Justice actually just joined in that case uh, um, in, in that uh, in that antitrust case uh, in Arizona. And it's something that, for example, state uh, state's attorneys general could also join in uh, and participate in. So we are seeing some examples of stuff like that that can happen. Uh, and it's really a new, it's a totally new avenue in the energy sector. We haven't seen a lot of antitrust action because generally speaking, 
these utilities with the state-granted monopolies have been kind of shielded from antitrust. And now people are starting to say, oh, but there are ways now in which this this market is changing in which people can produce their own energy. And, and therefore, we need to actually think about antitrust again. For sure. And more broadly on antitrust, uh, in the 1980s, uh, when President, when the Reagan administration came in, one of the first things that they did was gut the Federal Trade Commission, one of our federal antitrust enforcers, and kind of replace all the existing staff with with people who they knew weren't going to do anything. Uh, and as a result, you saw this movement in the 1980s uh, to strengthen state-level antitrust enforcement. Once again, uh, like I said earlier, the first antitrust laws were passed on the state level, and many of those laws are still on the books in the states. Uh, there are you know, state laws that prevent unfair competition and, and deceptive practices uh, in pretty much every state. Uh, and so you're starting to see uh, more antitrust energy on the state level. Uh, we have a big multi-state antitrust case being put together against Google right now. Facebook and also Amazon are under investigation by uh, different state attorneys general. And I think as we see more kind of uh, movement on the state level like this, we're going to see more funding for these AG offices, many of which have sort of been allowed to wither away. And yeah, it's really exciting uh, to see states take on these big tech tech companies in the way that they have over the last couple of, couple of years. Um, and it, it seems like it's only going to keep trending in, in this way. Right. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share about the guide, Zach, or John, that you want to add? I, I just want to offer one other example of I think an interesting intersection between corporate concentration and then local action around uh, climate and clean energy is that uh, in Portland, Oregon, they passed, uh, they had a local ballot initiative to tax large retailers in order to fund local renewable energy projects that would help build up the local economy. So like community solar projects, solar project in low income neighborhoods, that kind of thing. I think it is really interesting in the way in which they said, we have this large global problem of climate and energy. We want to try to solve it locally. We want to do it in a way that boosts our local economy and helps communities that have traditionally been under-resourced. And we recognize that the way to do that, so it's not specifically an antitrust move, but it is an explicit way of saying, we're going to take money from the folks who we know make it hand over fist, in part because they are big. Um, that they were, and they targeted specifically, I think it was retailers that net more than like a million dollars a year or something. So it was clearly a tax or a fee associated with businesses that are large. And so it doesn't change necessarily whether or not these businesses can operate at that scale uh, in the same way that antitrust does. But I think it's a recognition of the fact that this is the right issue that we're facing, that it is the size and power of these corporations. And that if we want to be able to have thriving, equitable communities that we need to get those resources from those big companies and redistribute them back into our communities. Zach, anything else? You should check out the guide. Uh, we worked really hard on it. Uh, there's tips for state policymakers to deconcentrate corporate power uh, in the banking, broadband, electricity, food and farming, pharmacy, small business, and waste sectors. So if you're interested in any of those policy areas, definitely uh, give it a read. Yeah, we've talked about how big it is, but these sections do stand alone. So if you only want to read about, you know, 
waste policy or broadband policy, you can just click on that. And uh, we will definitely have the guide linked on the show page for this episode, but it's also kind of plastered all over our homepage of our website. And I think the URL is ilsr.org slash fighting dash monopoly dash power. So we've made it very easy for you to find. I hope everyone will check it out. Um, and with that, thank you guys for joining me. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having us. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Building Local Power podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. You can find links to the report and everything else we discussed today by going to ilsr.org and clicking on the show page for this episode. That's ilsr.org. While you're there, you can sign up for one of our many newsletters and connect with us on social media. Finally, you can help us out with a gift that helps produce this very podcast and supports the research and resources we make available on our website. You can also help us out by rating this podcast and sharing it with your friends on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. This show is produced by Zach Fried and me, Jess Elfiaco. Our theme music is Funk Interlude by Dysfunction Out. For the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, I'm Jess Elfiaco, and I hope you'll join us again in two weeks for the next episode of Building Local Power. Thank you.